Hey everyone, and welcome to the Awards Radar Podcast, the first episode with title still to be determined, all rights reserved. Um, I'm uh, Joey, I'm the uh, boss for lack of a better word, perhaps not in execution, but at least in theory, and uh, I'm joined today with two of our writers, Miles Hughes and Steve with the long last name. So let's uh, introduce each other. Miles, go first. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm a writer on Awards Radar, but previously was a writer on the Awards Circuit and also worked with Joey all the way back when it was the Oscar Igloo. Uh, you may have uh, caught my incredibly long-winded uh, spiel on Charlie Kaufman recently. And I'm Steve Prisikowski. I'm a contributor over at Awards Radar. Also helped out at, at Awards Circuit and have been a longtime fan of Joey's work over there and glad to be part of the team. So as we've learned, Steve has very poor judgment. <laughs> I uh, so this is actually for being the first podcast here also kind of a unique scenario because Miles was the very first person I ever podcast with he was my first oh yes and you never forget your first it's true and it was a lot shorter than we normally do it so this analogy is really working itself out Oh, yeah. Well, and I remember how dated our observations were back then. I think we were talking about biggest summer movies, and that was the year, like, Terminator Salvation came out. And I distinctly remember having the observation that Sam Worthington was going to be a big star. So that didn't exactly pan out. And I do think that even back then I said you were wrong. So I might have been on to something. Yeah, you might have been on to something. I was way off. I was thinking about what we talked about, and I remember Adventureland. I distinctly remember Adventureland. Yes, we both loved Adventureland. Yeah, because I think we did like a top five for each of us, and I do not remember the other four in the slightest. So I remember Adventureland. I think that might have been the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek that year as well. Probably. I don't remember. I'm trying to think. Because wait, I was home from college, so I'm trying to figure out if it was junior year or senior year. That would also... Yeah, it was probably my freshman year i want to say i think terminator salvation made the list by virtue of it was one of the only five movies i had seen that summer could zombie land have been another one that would have been an october release i want to say so we missed that one probably because i'm trying to remember i remember doing it i remember seeing things but i don't remember the exact stuff i and i'm sure it's lost to the universe so it doesn't really matter but uh the irony of that is we we were the first to do it for award circuit and we kind of tried it out and clayton said it was all right we can do that for a while and then i think three or four episodes in he was like maybe i'll do it too and he and uh now screenwriter uh and comedian keith lucas did one Mm-hmm. we all did them like sort of interchangeably for a little bit until um it sort of became what it became so just an interesting bit of trivia that you know now we're spread out into here variety and uh the best original screenplay race i suppose <laughs> yeah that's man what a turnaround that turned out to be good on keith yeah i feel like i feel like uh you and i are kind of bringing up the rear here so yeah yeah where's your horror movie at least come on slow and steady slow and steady wins the race i did just finish my latest uh feature screenplay so i'll keep you posted on that so should i put that at like 30 in original screenplay or uh, what do you think uh, it'll probably be uh, 2021, 2022 at the earliest. Should I just put in the Razzies too, just to be safe? You know what? Yeah, we might want to cover our bases. Like, put it like six in both. I'm sure it'll be delayed. 
Well, exactly. Yeah, who knows when we'll actually be able to film the thing. Are you planning on theatrical release? Because that might uh, screw you up a little bit. I'm thinking right now, direct to shutter is looking pretty attractive. Uh, you know, Netflix, if we can get it. <laughs> Dream big. Yeah. Um, so, since we, we mentioned Keith and uh, original screenplay, we have a question. We are, we are already inundated with question. Notice I said the singular. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan McDermott. Long-time award circuit and award circuit power hour and circuit breaker and whatever we ended up calling it would send in questions and he has been kind enough to continue that trend and hopefully will continue that trend. His question is, which screenplay category is the most stacked and competitive this year, both for the Oscars and your personal favorites? And then he has what uh, used to be known as Cinephile Showdowns. He'll uh, come up with a non-copyrighted new name for us shortly. I'll read those off after. But first, let's, let's talk about his question. Screenplay categories. Um, not to uh, put it on Front Street, but adapted screenplay kind of sucks this year. Uh, it's just sort of... it's it, it, Top-heavy is the wrong word because there's not a ton of top. But, uh, for example, I'll just throw it out there that I don't think anyone is particularly confident that, like, First Cow is going to still be an Oscar player, and that's in the top ten in predictions right now for Adapted. So, Original is definitely looking better, considering you can go more than ten. You get to eleven for me, and these are my predictions, and you have Soul, which is, you know, Pixar, when they're good, they do get into screenplay. So Right. I, you know. Joe, is a weak lineup due to cancellations, or just a generally weak year? I mean, so, West Side Story was adapted that got delayed probably would have slipped in didn't think that was going to win or anything dune i i've sort of been notoriously not on the train that it was going to be a big movie on above the line but that was uh, adapted that got delayed you you did lose a couple of things you know no time to die if that was as good as as some like that was a weird one for me that some people bemoan that as a like oscar loss We'll see. That's the thing. Like, the, the at their best. Yeah, yeah. It was Skyfall in terms of, like, awards friendliness. If it's up there with Skyfall, then maybe. But even then, that's a stretch. Because I don't think Skyfall got a screenplay nom, did it? Well, did not. Skyfall didn't get anything above the line, obviously. Um, well, there you go. So that's the thing. Like, even if you were, you were looking at it as, you know, a tech juggernaut, it would still have to do better than Skyfall, which got... One nomination, two nomination, three, four, five nominations, and it went two for five. Like, that's not, you know, it's great, but it's not jumping out as, oh. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's only noticeable this year because it could have slipped into a couple of weak categories, and then as we lost more stuff, it could have taken advantage, and then it just bounced too. So for anyone else who does below-the-line predictions, you know, losing Dune and No Time to Die and West Side Story sort of throws you for a loop, especially in, in some of the visual categories, because you start to go, where, well, what has special effects? Right. Well, and not only that, but I mean, we lost pretty much any noteworthy superhero movies this year. So if you're just talking below the line, stuff like Black Widow or Wonder Woman 1984 or even The Eternals could have potentially been contenders. But now, you know, we're seeing them next year at the earliest. Technically, Wonder Woman is still scheduled to come out this year, but let's... 
Yeah, but do you really believe it's going to come out this year? Uh, no, but it is still in my predictions in, in visual effects because... Well, let's go to that for a second. We'll come back to Ryan's question. Um, I will tell you the top ten I have in, in visual effects, and, and you can cringe with me at the same time. So, my number ten is The New Mutants, which has no business being there. Yeah, trust me. I, I updated them and had to think for a while to come up with something. <laughs> number nine is Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, God. <laughs> Academy Award winner, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Number eight. Listen, Suicide Squad's an Oscar winner, so anything can go at this oh, point. Wait. Number eight is Call of the that's Wild. True. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was this year? Yeah. That's that's what everyone who saw the movie went. Oh, yeah. All right. Damn you, 2020. Yeah. Number seven is the one and only Ivan. Oh, boy. Okay. I mean, you know, not bad... In terms of like some, I guess there's motion cat. I don't know. Did you see it? Yeah, it's fair. The effects are pretty incredible. The movie is below average, if that. Yeah. You, you, those effects now, still, if you didn't tell somebody, if they weren't talking gorillas and animals, if you just had them on screen, it'd be tough to determine if they were real or not. But that doesn't make a good movie. So I, I'm not, I don't think it'll be winning anything just because it's, I don't think it's a, a likable film. Wait, they didn't train gorillas to talk in that movie? Ah, uh, see? I, I knew it. No, those were computers. Oh, wow. Ones and zeros. God, wow. And that's kind of that's kind of indicative of the whole year is because we've had so many cancellations and so many things pushed back, a movie that would otherwise be considered kind of mediocre or, you know, run-of-the-mill like that does have a legitimate shot just because the competition is thinned out so much. Exactly. And, and in other categories, I, I think that's great. I have no problem with that when we talk about cinematography and editing and production design like i'm all for look beyond sort of the the oscar bait that's mm -hmm. that's great in in visual effects unfortunately you you kind of are limited and sometimes it's not a it's not a big deal when you have big movies that do things of that nature that are also awards friendly like there isn't really that so number six i have is greyhound which has, you know, very subtle effects. But that mm -hmm. that would be like an ex machina type of thing where oh, it's it's it slipped in because enough people championed it, but I don't think anyone is going to champion it. Now like the director does a very good job of explaining the visual effects. I uh, I had interviewed him when the movie came out. And obviously like Tom Hanks is not on the water in World War II with U-boats around him. So there's a lot of figure out how the camera can can trace the eye line in a way that won't screw anything up. And that that is visual effects. You know, there's computer-generated images there, but I don't know that anyone watches it and, and, you know, marks it on their ballot. So the fact that that's number six is a... Wait, are, are you telling me the gorilla wasn't real in Greyhound? Oh, wait, sorry, wrong movie. That's, that's, <laughs> gray, that's, that's Grayback. Oh, Grayback, there you go. Uh, here, now we're getting into my predicted five. Uh, and I'll go from one to five, just because I'll, I'll save you guys a little bit of, of uh, service. Uh, number one is Tenet, which I guess is winning an Oscar in this category. I, I can't see what the competition would be. I mean, for movies that actually released this year, you know, and I mean, I love me some practical effects, but it's like head and shoulders above anything else that's on here. Yeah, it is. It is going to be a weird winner if it does win, just because, I mean, you've seen it and I haven't because movie theaters. But uh, that'll happen. That'll change eventually. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, uh, you know, 
is there any CGI or is it almost all practical? There's there's some very limited CGI, but it's the kind that kind of pieces stuff together rather than, you know, like a, a without giving anything away, there's a scene that's in the trailers where, you know, a Boeing 747 crashes into like a warehouse and they actually crashed a real plane into the warehouse. It's the thrill of it is that so many of its big stunts are clearly done practically. Um so for that alone, I feel like it does deserve a certain level of kudos that uh, maybe a similar film wouldn't get because they're looking for something that's more CGI heavy. Just just wait till it wins sound, too, and pisses people off. Well, yeah, that one. Christopher Nolan has a weird relationship with sound mixing, and I've never fully understood it. I see. I, I don't mind it. I don't know how I'm going to feel about this one because it's a basically a sci-fi Bond movie, but I, I had no problem with interstellar and dunkirk because there were situations where it made sense to maybe not hear people i mean granted the 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 sound and the sound effects being louder than the dialogue is a is a choice but i got on board with those i don't know how i'm gonna feel here but we'll talk about tenet a little bit more if we go down the categories but uh number two is wonder woman 1984 also known as 2021's nominee because i think we're like i said all in agreement it's probably not coming out Mm mm-hmm uh, unless unless at the last minute they pull for like an HBO Max release, but that would be a sign of defeat if ever there was one. Which yeah. which I mean, it is and it isn't because you could pull the uh, um what was it was it oh it was Mulan right was they got to pay Mulan, extra for yeah. yeah everyone could do that but I don't know Disney never really said how they did with that so. The, the issue you're going to have with Wonder Woman, too, is you're still not with HBO Max on all devices. So they're not going to put that out if it's not reaching Roku and Chromecast and everything else. You're you're knocking out a, a you know potential millions of viewers. So, Well, that's a very good point. So that based on that, they might opt for, if they were to send it direct to streaming rather than theatrical, then they might go for more general VOD release. Because unlike with Disney, Disney Plus is available everywhere. It makes sense to put Mulan or now Soul, uh, you know, direct to that. But with HBO Max, because it still has those limitations, even though that's Warner Brothers equivalent of a Disney Plus, it may not make sense to put it there because not everyone has access to it. Yeah, and this is actually something they know is going to do well when it comes out, so I don't think they're willing to kill, you know, the goose that laid the golden egg. Now, if mm-hmm. if Tenant had worked, and, uh, like, it didn't not work because of the movie, it's just people aren't willing to risk their lives to go to the movies. Go figure. Um, you know, they might have been a little more bullish to try, like, maybe a day-and-date thing and done, you know, like, if you have HBO Max, you can pay to see it, or you can go see it in the theater, but I don't... I don't foresee it. So I'm looking right. to that as a as a push. But for now, I have it in there just because you guys heard the category. <laughs> so number three is Mulan, which I guess is the runner up now. When And like, I guess yeah. is like there's visual effects there. I guess that works. But again, like, is that a nominee to get excited over? I haven't seen it yet because I'm not crazy enough to spend $30 on a movie that'll be free in December. Um, so, so I can't speak to that. It's it's not a nominee or a film that I'm all that excited about. So like, I, the trailer doesn't give doesn't tip off any kind of great special effects, and it also, you know, the buzz. I, I don't people aren't really talking about it that much anymore. You know, I know film Twitter is, but um, being a parent of of kids of the appropriate age to watch that, it, there wasn't it didn't it wasn't a blip on the radar. 
uh, the, at least the size that it, it, it should have been. Wonder Woman would have been or would be if it shows up. I, I would pay $30. To, I would be stupid and, and do that at home. Um, but um, Mulan, sorry. I'll wait till December or next year or the year after. <laughs> TBD. TBD. Uh, I will say that one of the nominees that would have no chance in a normal year is a very cool nominee. Uh, my number four is The Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, I, I totally agree. That wouldn't really have a chance in any other year. But because we're so limited, that one did come out. And for what they're doing, they are impressive special effects. Yeah, there's there's no reason why that should ever win an Oscar for visual effects. I will concede that, even though I love the movie. But in terms of its visual effects, there are visual effects. They're good at what they do. Like you said, it's a it's a small-scale movie, but it's handled well. So I think... You know, there's at at the moment like no good reason for it not to be nominated. Whether it, right. you know, what's what's the minimum number of nominees that they can have for the this category? I'm pretty sure it's five. I'm it is five? and okay. and it, and there are enough films. I'm sure whatever number you have to hit to trigger, I don't know if they have that rule. They're there. They're just garbage. You know, <laughs> you're welcome to predict Doolittle if you want, but there's a movie with visual effects and. Don't say it too loud because some voters will vote for it and see it. So we don't want that. But uh, yeah. and number five is Birds of Prey, which I guess were there special effects in that? Sort yeah, of, was... not really. Like some explosions, like nothing, nothing noteworthy. But at the same time, it's sort of what you're trained to look for in this category in terms of like the type of movie. I guess it's the only superhero movie that got a theatrical release this year. Yeah, but the effects are more like stunt work and action and stuff like that. Like you said, explosions. There's some animated little mini sequences, but that doesn't really count. No, I don't I don't think it will end up being nominated, but I, I need like a little more yeah. to feel confident about like boosting up. I need to see like what hits with anyone at all in terms of like an award, because otherwise you're hoping that like Maybe there's some somehow some like CGI and Mank. I could see that Fincher is really good about that subtle background CGI. Like Social Network isn't something you'd think of as this big effects-heavy movie, but in almost every shot, there's something going on in the background or what they did with the Winklevoss twins and stuff like that. Yeah, like that's that's possibility, but I didn't want to put it there. Just it's still so sight unseen. The only one there is one possibility, uh, and that's the Midnight Sky, the Netflix Clooney movie. But uh, yeah. we still don't know what it is yet. So it sounds like a big, like, apocalyptic movie. You know, he's, from what I understand, he's a scientist and there's a spaceship coming back to Earth. But there's been, like, a disaster, so he's trying to stop them from doing it. So I just don't know if it's effects heavy or if it's character heavy. And, and Clooney making it and directing it makes me think it's more character heavy. But if there's, like, you know, an asteroid or something, then maybe they can slip themselves in. Well, of all this, all the CGI talking animals or animal movies, I think the one and only Ivan, even though I'm not a big fan of it, but I could see that that working its way up because I think it's going to be something that you're going to be able to showcase easily, uh, the work done. Where Birds of Prey, you're going to struggle, you know, side by side when you put together the reel of, of the effects. The the uh, the CGI there is pretty incredible. Does it have the audience? 
you know, not having a, a, a full uh, VOD or even or theater release. But, you know, I could see Ivan sneaking up, especially since Wonder Woman's not going to be in that five. Jump, jump, jumping Greyhound. That's my opinion. Fair enough. I uh, I would agree with that. The only other things you could think of are like war movies, but the war movies this year have been very realistic. You know, the Five Bloods and, and the Outpost. I'm sure there are CGI shots in it, but again, limited. Um, I don't think that's what Netflix is uh, is going for. And in the terms of the Outpost, they don't have, I think, much of a budget for campaigning, which is a shame because that's like a movie that I think could overperform, but... We'll see. So that's our impromptu uh, visual effects chatter, which is not what Ryan asked about in the slightest. <laughs> but, you know, that's going to be us. If you know any, if you if you remember uh, Circuit Breaker, we uh, we don't listen. So there you go. Um, but we will talk about screenplay for a little bit. Like I said, adapted screenplay is rough. Now, the top two are good. Uh, you have, I think, no matter what order you want to put them in, it's kind of hard not to have One Night in Miami and Nomadland. As your top mm -hmm. two, and whether you think, you know, stagey, socially conscious drama, or more lyrical, like, tone poem, or what the Academy will go for, those seem like the odd, odds-on favorites. Ken Powers, new name to voters, I think, safe to say. Chloe Zhao, not as, still new, but also they're aware of her now, as like, oh, you're a big deal, like, we're supposed to pay attention to you, so... This could be their excuse to give her an Oscar, like if voters get in her head, like that get in their head, she needs to win something. But when you get below that, uh, we have three people here who enjoy. I'm thinking of ending things, but I believe we're all sort of crystal minded that it's not an Oscar movie, you know, and not no, a traditional. No, in any other one. year, it, it wouldn't have a chance in a blue moon. Yeah, and I think it's still going to be hard to get, you know, voters to watch. The entire thing. I think they'll put it on. But I, I think it will be the most, like, turned off after 10 minutes movie that there is this season. Right. Well, it'll get in based on name recognition for Charlie Kaufman. And not to belittle the screenplay. It's a very good screenplay, even if it's a bit abstract. But I think in terms of accessibility to voters, it's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it can, That's definitely an issue. Yeah. Like, it can get in. But... I also think that even though it would basically be getting on a reputation alone, it it's almost reliant on people voting for it without seeing it, which is a very strange thing to say. You know, if uh, I like, I'm thinking back just like when the world existed, the uh, the voters I would talk to, and I can like pinpoint in my head the ones who would be like, "Oh, that was the worst piece of shit I've ever seen," and me having to tell them like, "No, it's not," but you know, I I, I know it's not your movie. So that's that's a legitimate concern there. Um, yeah. Other other things in the category, just to sort of give you a sense, news of the world. I think that's sort of built to be like number four in the category throughout the entire season, assuming it's good. Um, you got Luke Davies and Paul Greengrass, Academy Friendly Writers. It's a Western, like all that makes it seem like safe bet, but not to win. Um, the interesting one though would be the Father, which was a play that Florian Zeller wrote. And then adapted and directed. And I believe so. It was a French play. And when they went to England, uh, before Broadway, Christopher Hampton, who is uh, also, I believe, a previous nominee, 
he had he sort of uh, translated it and turned it around a little bit. So they're in the running, and that that has a chance to sort of be the main competition to One Night in Miami and Nomadland. But again, that's going to be a smaller movie, mostly watched for like Anthony Hopkins. So you're, you know, in terms of like what the big deals in the category are, Adapted is just not shaping up in the same way. You know, the rest of the stuff you got Taylor Sheridan's Those Who Wish Me Dead. He's, you know, doing well in terms of writing, but I don't know if that's going to excite anyone. Next Goal wins Taika Waititi if it comes out. Hillbilly Elegy, if it comes out, I think it is, but it's Netflix. Then, like we said, the fir first cow. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has a lot of upward mobility, but other than that, you're really sort of out of contenders who are realistic, and that's that's unusual for Adapted to barely be able to go, like, 12 deep. Well, and you made a very good point before we started recording, which was a lot of the top contenders in the original category are ones that, if you didn't know better, you would assume would be competing adapted. Because you've got things like Trial of Chicago 7 and Mank and um, Judas and the Black Messiah. And those are all, you know, based on true stories. You would presume that there was like a book or a newspaper article or somewhere, something along the line that they're pulling from. But those are all competing original. So it really does kind of shake up the power dynamics of the whole thing. Exactly. Um so, speaking of original, those on their own, I think, make it the more exciting category. You know, Sorkin is, to some, like a writing god. But uh, whether you like him or not, I think the movie works. You don't have to be a fan of his. I am, and I love the movie, but it it fits. It's such a good movie for our times. Like, that's a, a big deal. Mank, you know, is, is, is going to be like film Twitter's movie. But also, I think there's a little extra curiosity of, like, Jack Fincher being the writer and the whole posthumous thing. Um, Real quick on Mank, is Jack Fincher the credited writer? Because I remember seeing somewhere else that um, somebody else ended up touching it up. That is a question I'm going to look up right now. I am pretty sure he's the credited writer, but I don't know if someone touched it up or not. Nope, he's the credited writer. Okay, good. So good. it might have been like David Fincher, you know, handled, you know, the whatever formatting issues or whatever he might have. But I think also it was not a, it's not like what was written 30 years ago. I think it was supposed to be like David Fincher was going to make it, I think mm -hmm. in the late nineties, but uh, he wanted black and white at the time, which still, and uh, you know, I'm sure it's expensive and it just didn't come together. I do believe Interesting trivia-wise that his original choice for playing Mank was Kevin Spacey. Oh. Which <laughs> uh, wouldn't fly now, but in like 1999 probably was, right around him making American Beauty probably would have been a like huge deal. At the time, that that could have got like gotten the movie greenlit based on that, which is crazy to think about in terms of nowadays. That would get you canceled instead. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like... They've fallen. Yeah. And then, you know what, I think also, like, we don't need to go down the category in terms of, like, what's going to get nominated, but it has more interesting things also. Even if Never Really Sometimes Always doesn't get nominated, still my favorite movie of the year. Like, that's a great screenplay. Um, On the Rocks, I don't think gets nominated, but it's just, like, a delight to watch. You know, Soul is in this category. This King of Staten Island, The Way Back, 
Promising Young Woman, Palm Springs, uh, The Invisible Man, which we spoke of. Like, there's just a ton of more interesting titles. So original is kind of wiping the floor in both regards to answer Ryan's question many, many minutes after. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to favorites, this is where my uh, my favorites live uh, in, in the original. Especially down a lot of the, the, the bigger names I haven't seen yet, hopefully in the next few weeks. But the uh, some of the films that came out earlier in the year, uh, The Way Back, um, King of Staten Island, um, Palm Springs, all are, are ones that I, I wouldn't mind seeing getting a nod. Agreed. All right. Now we can go into what uh, no, I think this will cover our bases, what used to be called Cinephile Showdown. And his ones are Aaron Sorkin related. Go figure. Look at that. It's almost like I know what I'm doing. I don't. Um, the first one is A Few Good Men or The Social Network. Social Network. Social Network. I'll go A Few Good Men just to mix it up. But they're both perfect screenplays and amazing movies. So I don't have a strong preference. They're both amazing. I would watch both right now. I loved A Few Good Men. I haven't watched it in about a decade. but It's on TV uh, all the time, so it's easy to, to pop in. I uh, I love it. I lo they're both. They're both amazing. No, they're both great. Don't get me wrong. A Few Good Men is probably like one of the better courtroom dramas of its time, for sure. But to me, Social Network is just like, I think still stands as the most important movie of the past decade. And, you know, I cannot wait for that sequel that Aaron Sorkin was kind of teasing earlier this week, but only if J David Fincher will come back to direct it. Yeah, that was, I couldn't figure out how serious he was being, but I also was like, I'll watch it. Please, like, make it. But, uh. <laughs> There's plenty of new story to tell. He, uh, I want him to make The Politician, which he sort of teased out a little bit for a while, which is, if you guys remember, John Edwards. That was, uh, he was going to make a, he was going to adapt the book that the, so, okay. For those who don't know, John Edwards ran for president. He was the vice presidential dom nominee for John Kerry. He also turned out to be a creep, scumbag. monster, scumbag. Yeah, like, not good dude. Um, mm -hmm. He, uh, he was having an affair. Not the most surprising of things in the world, but it was more the, like, envelope of, and web of lies that came out of it. Like, he had uh, his campaign manager a like this so andrew young i believe was his name was like his like young protege like you're my guy like you you help me out and convinced him to take credit i guess is the word we want to use for like knocking up this woman that john edwards actually impregnated and it became like a giant scandal it was just a dumpster fire it was very 2020 actually like very like on par for like our tone of the year but they, the guy wrote a book, and I read it, and it's a train wreck, but, you know, throws everyone under the bus. And Aaron Sorkin wanted to make that movie. And I think focus on, like... So uh, every Sorkin movie has that, at least recently, like the sitting in front of people being sort of cross-examined scene. Molly's Game mm. is basically just that. You know, Social Network is... It's not bookended, but the, the framing device is two of those. He sort of had the idea to do another one of those with... Uh, this guy coming in to be, like, deposed by the FBI. And, I, and it could have been a really interesting, like, dark, like, probably 
black comedy almost about politics. And I always kind of thought like Tom Cruise should play John Edwards. I would love that. I don't think he's doing those kind of movies anymore, though. He seems to be pretty locked into action and sci-fi stuff these days. Yeah, we talked about that a lot on on Circuit Breaker. Um, I, they'll come a day when he goes back to it. I think he's probably in the mindset of, I only have X number of action movies left in me. I want to make every single one of them before I can't do it again. As opposed to, right. like, mixing and matching. So, like, there was a time where I think you probably could have gotten him. And he would bookend, mm-hmm. you know, a Mission Impossible movies with it. Or, you know, he would have done one original action movie, a sequel, and this sort of in between. That would have been, like, his three movies for the next two years. But I think his mindset is probably that if I make this, we're pushing Mission Impossible 37, you know, off the map. And, you know, that's potentially one less I can't do. And that seems to be what he wants to do. So I can't begrudge him doing it. But just him playing a dead-eyed politician is is too perfect. Well, I don't disagree with that. For looks alone, I I would like to see Jason Sudeikis. Plus, it would be a good stretch for him. And if they they created a role that had that kind of uh, borderline comedy, dark comedy, drama, um, yeah, it might be his breakout it could have been almost like if you guys saw Bad Education this year. Like, the idea of just, like, watching someone's world. I was just world. thinking about that, yeah. Yeah. Because that was sort of John Edwards' thing. Like, he built up, you know, this I'm a man of the people thing, and I'm, like, the smiling trial lawyer. Like, everything about him screamed, like, you know, made in a lab, perfect, like, politician. And you, you sort of just realized, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's even more of a facade than we assumed it was. Y- um, you forgot to mention, I, I believe I still it was- love the story of, well, love is a strong word, but... He uh, he told John Kerry about losing his son and how he like cried on top of his his grave. It's supposed to be this like very moving story, and he said, "I've never told anyone this before, but and told a story." And and John Kerry remarks, going, "He he told me this like a year ago, like he he must tell everyone I've never told anyone this story before." Um, mm. And then in the book, I believe like there was a point where he was ready to end his campaign, and I think there was already the scandal brewing and tried to like pitch himself as Obama's VP, like not realizing like you're just going to elect John McCain if you do that, which what a quaint idea. Like imagine, remember when we were mad at the prospect of John McCain becoming president? That was a simpler time. (laughs) The good old days. I I thought about that yesterday, the day before, like we all got so worried about John McCain and Mitt Romney and well, we had George W. Bush, but I, I, I'd take him. <laughs> yeah. No, nowadays they're, they're they're looking rosier by the minute. Exactly. I, I you know, I wouldn't be thrilled at my ideology, but goddamn, I wouldn't be sitting in my house for the last seven months with them in charge, I think. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, to say. speaking of actually uh, real quick, though, um, talking about Hugh Jackman movies, that also sounds very reminiscent of um, the one he did a, a few years ago, The Front Runner which was sort of a would-be Oscar contender that didn't quite shape out. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, even though it's not so much a one-to-one physical match, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that did ever get off the ground that they may pursue Hugh Jackman for it just because that kind of character is very comfortable for him now. Yeah, he, he does seem very good now and comfortable with the, like, smile to cover up the, like, not evil, but, you know, I'm up to something not great, which, again... Like, I, I feel like I'm mentioning the front runner a lot lately. Um, what a 
what an interesting idea that like an affair could have torpedoed a candidate. Oh yeah, right. We are we are beyond that, though maybe not considering the North Carolina Senate race. But well, well look at look at Howard Dean though, screaming on stage with an isolated mic recording it and then being played back and that and that was it and he, he fell down in the polls i'm like things like that used to matter there's, there's more gets done on a, a single day with this current administration than was done in in you know full campaigns or, or full uh terms um it's it's amazing how how blind or how numb we've become because if you if you it, yeah if you take some of the some of the things that have been done in the last month alone, and you said, "Oh, uh, I don't," know, Thomas Jefferson did that, people would be like, "What are you kidding me? That's terrible!" But yet, when it comes from this this uh, team of, of winners, no one cares. We just can turn a blind eye. If you if you said it came from Obama, we would have pitchforks and and angry mobs. But I don't know. Scary time. Someone should. Oh, that was, don't even bring that up. It still makes me so angry. Well, and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there because I think it is the sheer volume of things that makes us numb to it. It's not like there's only one thing we can point to and say, oh, well, that's the thing that should torpedo it. Because before we can have a chance to really dissect that, there's five other things that have already come up and you just can't keep track of anything. So at a certain point, you're just like, Maybe it's all bad. Maybe we, we just, it's not worth getting into anymore. And that's depressing. It's, it's, it's the omen. We're living in the omen. We just don't know it yet. So wait, who's Damien in this scenario? Donnie T. Okay. Ugh. The grow, the, you know, like the omen too, when he's, he becomes president eventually, I believe. So, oh yeah. When Sam Neill plays him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so this is, so this is omen four we're writing right now. This is it. We're living it. Yeah. I, I want, I want my, uh, my credit. Yeah, I want my SAG card. I mean, listen, which is uh, Sam Neill Omen two or three? Three, I want to say. Yeah. So he so he's evolved from uh, uninvited anal sex to running the country. All right, I can buy it. <laughs> it's it's weird the things you remember about shitty horror sequels. <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as evolved from as multitasking with. He's still doing it. I think this. I think Omen four opens with him still doing that. Just you know, also answering the red phone. Yeah, exactly. He's he's he's, you know, he can do a lot at once. So is he? So is he the hero in this movie, or just like to thirty percent of the country, he's the hero in this movie? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, you know different perspectives that are going to people. Some people are going to walk out and uh, a, a real winner, a heart warmer, and other people are like, wow, a horror show. Coming next year, Dinesh D'Souza's Omen Four. Oh God. Uh, he uh, so quick inside baseball thing. The uh, the home video column that I do, I, I when I did um, the Blu-ray column for Award Circuit, I, I would get pretty exhaustive with, you know, what was coming out. And I've learned that now I'm the boss, I can be like, well, I don't want to write about this, so fuck that movie. And uh, last year, last week, Dinesh D'Souza put out a new movie. And I was like, I'm not even giving it the time of day to, like, say it's out and terrible, because I know it's terrible and I won't even watch it. I was like, you know what's even more insulting? Just pretending it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it felt good, I gotta say. Uh, so, the next uh, comparison we have. The American President or Charlie Wilson's War? The American President. I'm gonna lean Charlie Wilson's War, but primarily for Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. 
I do love both. So I, I, I'm learning I'm a Sorkin apologist. Um, I, I, I think Charlie Wilson's War is probably his most underrated. It's not, it's probably in the lower tier just because of what's above it. Now, granted, I'm saying American President for this. I love that movie. But Charlie Wilson's War is better than a lot of people give it credit for. It, it kind of crumbled under the weight of like, this is the Oscar frontrunner. When I, so I read the script before it came out. And I think I did an Oscar Igloo script review. So, God, this is you all did, just I a remember that. flashback. Um, it's not a. It's not meant to be that movie. It's Sorkin sort of playing around and, and having fun in in like the halls of Washington. But it's not. It doesn't make a. It makes a bigger point, but it's not the Oscar friendly bigger point. Like I think it would do better now. I think the voting body now would be more akin to like, oh, this is a black comedy. Okay, I, I I got it. They they sort of weren't in the mood for that. I think they wanted either more or less than they got. So right, you know they 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 noticed Philip Seymour Hoffman. They didn't forget that, but you know they slept on the script. Hanks is great. Um, I think they just people weren't as aware as they are now of how hard that dialogue is. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Now now you kind of acknowledge that like just getting cast in these movies. You have to be able to do it. And I, I, so I, I interviewed Timothy Busfield this year, and he um, is in a. He's worked with Sorkin a lot. Like he directed some. I don't think he directed any West Wing, but obviously he was on the West Wing. He directed some Studio sixty. I think he directed some Sports Night, and apparently Aaron Sorkin hates the walk and talk, but they're just like so necessary for what you're doing, and the the way that you do them is so complicated that you have to be doing your dialogue hitting like not only your marks in terms of where you're working walking but the marks of the line you need to be saying at that certain point it's it's very like not poetry because but it, but like you're you're performing it in a very specific way and it apparently drives people nuts sometimes of just like oh my god this is so much harder than i expected to be like even though i knew five pages of dialogue well you know, like walking in a circle that we're going to make look like we're walking through a hall is is already, you know, complicated. I just found it super interesting. I was like, oh, really? Um, but that's one of those like inside baseball things that I kind of enjoy. And speaking of, the final one he has here is Moneyball or Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs should have been better than I think it was, so I'm going to give it to Moneyball because I think it's a stronger film overall, whereas Steve Jobs has high highs and low lows. I agree. I, I, I Moneyball. I, I, I think Moneyball is one that I, I, a film I think about more often. Steve Jobs kind of told its tale and I have you know, kind of put it aside. I, I love Steve Jobs. So again, I think I love Steve, uh, Sorkin. I think Moneyball is the better movie, but it's less of a Sorkin movie. Like you can definitely, I would agree with that. Feel his influence, but he's not the. It feels like a really strong punch-up job. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think for me, what I remember about Moneyball is it being, you know, the baseball movie for people who don't like baseball movies. Um, and so that to me feels like maybe that was more of his input was making, giving it that accessibility. Um, whereas Steve Jobs, it feels more like a Sorkin movie for sure, but whether it's due to direction or just, you know, trying a little too hard to hit some of the sort of, you know, melodramatic beats, I think it just doesn't quite hold together as strongly. Fair. Um, I will say that I, I read 
the a different version of the Moneyball script that I don't think he was credited on. I don't remember. Or maybe he was credited on, but it wasn't the final draft because there was there was a notable difference in that Billy Bean would like sleep with women wherever he went. Like every, you know, all the scenes of him like sitting alone, like drinking a beer before he calls someone in, in the movie we saw would be him like waking up in a hotel with like a woman or like somebody leaving his apartment. Like they, they tried to give him another like angle. And I mm. think, I don't know whether he put it in there or it was taken out or he took it out, but I, I very much prefer the version we got as just like, oh, this is a sort of a singular minded individual. You know, he can be a good dad, but like really all he thinks about is how to build this team as opposed to, you know, sometimes he's on the prowl too, which listen, we've all been there, but I'm also not the GM of the A's. Well, yeah, I feel like that would potentially make the character a little less likable because it, he's less focused. Like, I like how, um, from memory, he kind of has this thing where he's, like, constantly eating junk food or something like that, but, like, alternating that with working out. So that, to me, feels more human and relatable, whereas, you know, him constantly being in bed with women feels like, I don't know. I mean, this is just pure speculation, but that feels like something that maybe Brad Pitt would have been more into than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, listen, I would love for that to be super relatable to my life, but it's it's not currently. Like, I want nothing more than to be like, oh, they stole my life, but they, they did not. Um, I do wonder, I do think that the eating thing was a Brad Pitt thing also. So I wonder if he would, we, I feel like we're bashing Brad Pitt accidentally being like, what if I just had him eating and fucking all the time? Well, Brad Pitt likes to eat and everything. I mean, if you look at like the Oceans movies or... Um you know, he's he's regularly, like, chowing down on something. And it's, you know, from what little acting I've done, it is always good to have something to do with your hands or some sort of, you know, business uh, while you're going through the dialogue so it's not just people sitting and talking. Oh, yeah. Like, I know that's what it is. And, like, he's just, like, I, I'm i aware enough to know I don't know what to do with my hands, so just give me something to do with my hands. What if I'm just eating? Fine. But I kind of want to pretend that he's just, like, really tight with his money and he takes a job because he wants free meals so he just sits and eats peanuts. <laughs> six sweets of peanuts wishful thinking um and then he added a uh a bonus one school of rock or bernie are these jack black movies yeah we we, we pivoted the jack black at the end okay oh that's tough actually because they're very different sides of jack black and I guess they're also Richard Linklater, so we... we pivot. Oh, that's true. Big oh, yeah. pivot. Big pivot. Oh, that's uh, tough. I, I'd go School of Rock. I I love the film. For any of its flaws, I can watch it over and over. Uh, I, I finally shared it with my kids. They loved it. Introduced them. They've heard me talk about you know rock and roll, uh, ACDC, and to see a bunch of kids play it um, connected you know, connected us a little bit, but it's funny. It's, uh, it's classic. You, you look at it now, what is it? 15 years later, it's classic Jack Black. It's old school, early Jack Black. He's toned it down a little bit now. I like it fine. I'm going to go Bernie. I will say though, that unfortunately my lasting impression of, of school of rock is still the joke in the 40 year old virgin where, uh, Paul Rudd says he watched the porn parody. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know if we need to worry about the, uh, 
the rating on this podcast yet, so I won't say the name of it. But uh, I, I, it makes me laugh. So uh, we got a Bernie, we got a School of Rock. Miles, you got to break the tie. Oh gosh, darn it! Um, Just think of the one line when the kid says, "He says, what? What's the line? I'm messing it up." Um, Are you talking you about the porn were... parody? Oh, no, no, not the, not in the parody. <laughs> He says, uh, are you drunk? No, I'm not drunk. I, I got a hangover. What is something? I'm, I'm I, re- I remember I remember the joke. No, it means I was drunk yesterday or something. Yeah, I was drunk yesterday. I almost feel like you bungling the, the joke so much has made it so that Miles is going to pick Bernie. Yeah, I probably. That's why I don't quote films, because uh, frankly, my dear, I still don't care. I, I, I do think you make a good point that School of Rock is incredibly quotable. Um, I did rewatch it sometime earlier this year and it's impressive how much it holds up like my instinct would be to go with bernie just because it is jack black very much outside his comfort zone and he does do a very good job with a much quieter sort of more internalized character and it is a very good movie but i do come back to school of rock more often so i think i have to give it to that it worked see my bungled joke yeah you also made me think of the simpsons with the edited ending to casablanca and then the oh, edit- yeah. and then the edited ending to Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I love you. Let's get married. Ah, <laughs> oh, Simpsons did it first. All right. So before we wrap up with this inaugural shit show, um, it is October. I think. Yes. Ooh. Time is time has lost all meaning. Um, time is a flat circle. All that jazz. We'll uh, at some point do our awards radar spooktacular. Um, but for now. I'm going to tease it out by asking each of you to give me a horror movie recommendation. And then because we're also in the horrific period of the election, a political movie. Horror is easy. Drag me to hell. A a underrated, underwatched, underappreciated film. Uh, I I would say maybe Sam Raimi's best. I know people will, will slaughter me for that. But hey, you know what? How many listeners do we have right now? I won't say that again uh, down the line when we have 10 million listeners, but right now uh, I can say that. I mean, in but, this uh, in this very moment, we have three, the three of us, but you know. Uh, now's the so time that, for hot takes. Yeah. Perfect. Um, it's one of my favorite horror films. Uh, it's funny. It's scary. It, it's and, it, and every time I watch it, and I'm not, I'm not one to watch films over and over, but I go back just about every other year on it. And, um, and it, it, it still hits me. You show the kids uh, drag uh, me to hell, right? Yeah, oh, they love it. No, no. My kids avoid the horror movies right now. Allison Lohman, though, by the way, that, it's a shame that she disappeared. Does anyone know what happened to her? She did like a horse movie or something like that. I, I It's that and drag me to hell that I know her from. And then, yeah. And she nothing. was trampled? Maybe that's it. Maybe they've just covered it up <laughs> all this time. Damn it. I, uh, what did I see her in recently? Um, Miles, do your horror movie while I look this up. Because I know she's in something. All right. Well, Joey's looking that up. Um, I got to do this one just because I actually uh, got a chance to see it at a drive-in last night. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, Mm. fantastic. Um, I think probably is still, after all this time, the gold standard for practical special effects in a movie, period. Uh, Just the sheer creativity on display. But even outside that, because people have, you know, seen all the money shots at this point. But it's just such a compelling film and just the paranoia and the suspense of never knowing 
who is the thing or who is a thing at any given time. And you could go through the movie several times and have several different theories about when certain switches occur or if that person was always possessed or whether they were playing along or whether it just happened between scenes. And even at the end, without giving anything away, you're kind of left unsure about what the state of things is. So yeah, if you haven't seen that one, The Thing is a Cold Stone classic. Don't miss it. It was a blind spot for me for a while. I, I And I being a fan of horror, I was surprised when I kept seeing it on the list and like, I can't, I, I never saw it. So, um, I, I rented it and back when you used to rent movies, I believe. Um, and I was uh, amazed how effective it was. It, it's true. Everything you said, uh, the paranoia, the, uh, uh, the effects, just a brilliant horror film. It's, it's in my top five for sure. Absolutely. I also realized I meant to say Stone Cold Classic instead of Cold Stone Creamery. So now you did give me the joke that when you rave about a movie, it's going to be Miles Cold Stone Creamery. (laughs) Well, you know, it takes place in Antarctica, so it is Cold Stone. Just bring a towel. Um, All right. I looked up uh, Alison Lohman and uh, boy, are we about to go on a journey. Uh, Prior to making Drag Me to Hell, there were there was, you know, White Oleander people like big fish matchstick men where the truth oh, lies man that was the earlier one I yeah from. where the truth lies flicker from 2006 that's the horse one yep beowulf things we lost in the fire now we take a turn because 2009 she had both drag me to hell and gamer the uh neville oh, dean and taylor movie where it went wrong yeah so uh not one of the main cast members of gamer and uh, did not work from 2009 into 2015 when she showed up as psych patient patient in Neville Dean's The Vatican Tapes. Wow. Then in 2016, she had two movies. She played Mother in Urge, a thriller by Aaron Kaufman. Never heard of him. Starring uh, Justin Chatwin, Ashley Green... Danny Masterson and Pierce Brosnan. Wow. You take Pierce Brosnan out and it's exclusively a cast of also Rans. Um, I, here's what we need to know. I didn't see this movie. And I see everything. It also has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes based on five reviews. So That's incredible. And then she, never heard of she had one other film in 2016. Officer Down, where she played Sister Blister. (laughs) Officer Down is directed by Sean Crahan. Does anyone know who that is? No. He is... First of all, it's also produced by Neville Dean, so I'm sensing a theme Mm -hmm. here. Um, Now, this uh, Sean Crahan dude is more commonly known as Clown. Does that help anyone? Nothing. He is the percussionist slash background vocalist of Slipknot. Uh, who who plays Officer Down? Because I may have heard about this when it came out. Uh, Kim Coates. Yep, yep, I remember. It was it was like back when there was like that rush of way too late after the fact Grindhouse style ripoffs, and yeah, that was one I vaguely remember popping up. Did you go see it? Because the box office was eight hundred and fifty dollars. Because if you went several times. It could be just me. <laughs> no, no, I did not watch that one. One of my one of my worst jokes was uh, when I would do the box office 
not the, I'm sorry, the Blu-ray column, I would put the box office, and sometimes I would, uh, when I'd cover, like, a little movie like this, I would say it, you know, I have more of my, <clears throat> sorry, uh, the bad joke was torpedoed by my own body. Um, I have more in my checking account than this movie made at the box office, and when I can say that, that's a very bad sign because I'm very, very poor. So, clearly that was not a joke <laughs> worth telling, but we uh, did it anyway. I enjoyed it. I I'm laughing on the inside. So, the... Uh... <laughs> You do realize I can just not have you on again, right? <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> there we go. The outside. Um, so Lowman got married to Neville Dean, and then she semi-retired from acting and only appearing in his films. Curse you, Neville Dean. I, I, I figured that that was, a, that was getting there. I didn't look it up. So basically, so Gamer did ruin her career, but not in the way we would have expected. It, it's so like I, I there's a it's such a weird thing like I don't mean to say it this way because I'm not being mean to either of them like good on them but it feels like she was like a porn star who got married it's like now I only fuck him um <laughs> like not that like I think she was like gonna be like the next big thing but there was a that was a solid run of like I recognize her which yeah. is yeah no, she was poised to be something big. Well, because um, she was actually the second choice for Drag Me to Hell. It was originally going to be Ellen Page. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Who was, who was already on her own kind of hot streak. So uh, that could have, you know, given... That should have been a bit of a boost. Because Drag Me to Hell wasn't a huge movie, but people who see it like it. Uh, I love it. Um, so there was there was room to grow there. No, yeah, Ellen Page was originally cast, and then I think, uh, I forget what she, was it the X-Men movie that fucked her over there? Uh, well, what was it? Like, what year did that? Drag Me to Hell was 2009, so let's, let's do this That would math. have been just after Juno. Yeah, no, I think she signed on after Juno as, like, it was a big deal. It was, oh, Sam Raimi's going back to horror, and he's got, like, the hottest actress in, in Hollywood at the moment. Um, I mean, and she did Inception in 2010, and I can imagine that took a while to film. That could be. Because, yeah, after Juno, she did, let's see, the Tracy Fragments and the Stone oh, Angel. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. Whip it. Maybe. I, I remember reading specifically that she had to choose between the two, and she uh, went to Whip It because she wanted to work with Drew Barrymore. I do like oh. Whip It. Oh, really? Oh, jeez. I liked it. I, uh, I, I don't, it's not okay. great, but. Teach his own. Yeah. I will say, if you look at who made Whip It now, Drew Barrymore is not a bad director. Um. Sean Across, the writer, was a roller derby person, so not really, like, necessarily continued on. But if you look at the uh, cinematography, it's Robert Yeoman, who is now um, Wes Anderson's dude and Paul, Fe and Paul Feig's dude. And the editor is Dylan Tishner, who um, is a two-time Academy Award nominee. You know what happens? When my reaction is what mine was and yours is, and then someone has a similar reaction to, to, to yours... Then I end up looking for this film, trying to DVR it or finding it on streaming. I'll, I'll, I'll end up watching uh, Whip It in the next three months, guarantee. This is what I do to, to Academy members when I go to these events back when the world existed. Yeah. I, I just like get them to watch things. And uh, I've realized that sometimes they'll listen, so I have to be careful because there was a year, the year of the artist. I distinctly remember being at a party and someone asking about the artist it hadn't come out yet. And saying, Harvey told me this is good, which is unfortunately how that worked a lot of times. Mm. But I, so I would, would fuck with people. So I recommended they watch the Beaver, Red State, and Bellflower. You know, three. Why, why are you the way that you are? 
Uh, we we've asked we've asked that question for years and we don't have an answer. But why, do you, why do you hate people so much? I you, you know do these things to them. All three of those made my top ten that year. I think all three of those made my bottom ten that year. Well, you're a monster. <laughs> I uh, I will say that I'm kidding. I actually never saw Bellflower, so I can't comment on that. You one. would the like Bellflower. I probably would, but the other two are just oof. I'm gonna. I feel like I should assign you Bellflower for like a vintage review. Um, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I uh, I do still love that people. You know, speaking of red state, we uh, Kevin. We Smith, don't have to. We will. Um, <laughs> I will just say, in terms of what we were just talking about, the uh, even though I know Tusk and Yoga Hosers are not super beloved, but I do love that they're both shot by James Laxton, who is now like film Twitter's favorite cinematographer because he works with Barry Jenkins. Oh well. From humble beginnings, I guess. Yeah, or or you know, Kevin Smith has an eye for talent. Either one. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, my horror movie. Before we get to our political movies, and then we wrap up, horror movie. I'm gonna go with Saw Six. And the reason nice. I do that is <laughs> we're weeks away from losing healthcare, and that movie's about to become a lot more timely. I have to uh, to visit that. We uh, I've never seen. Then you're gonna want to pay attention to Miles and I because. We are we are bigger Saw fans than we probably should admit to. Oh yeah, it's the only horror franchise that I've rewatched as vigorously as I have, and I think six. I agree with you. Six stands out to me because it really has like a message and something to say and actual themes to it outside of you know the whole serial killer soap opera that's going on in the background. It was it was a very good example of, and I think we're gonna actually try to do like a saw podcast for a little bit um oh, I love it. you and i know could do it and i think kendall would probably be into it so i'd like to do that but um saw six was definitely at the point where the creators were getting bored and normally you send uh jason to manhattan or space or something like that like you do that like gimmick yeah. that you're completely out of ideas and instead they're like what if we just kind of satirize things just a tiny tiny bit because we're already doing these like moral equivalencies. What if we just turned it on like people who already do that in real life? And it played out better than you would ex- expect. Also, I think they stumbled on a pretty solid director. Yeah. When they were who was their longtime editor up until yeah. that point. So, um, Steve, I uh, the the chronology of the series will boggle your mind if you ever look into that. I believe the. The fifth one also takes place before the first one at points, um, which is not the weirdest thing in that franchise. But they had had uh, James Wan start the franchise off, and then Darren Lynn Bozeman took over and did two, three, and four. And then they kind of were at like an, uh, just searching for directors. So I believe the fifth one is the production designer directed it. Yes. Well, he did, he did most of the trap designs. Yeah. David Hackle, right? Yep. Yeah, um, not a great director. Um, yeah, that one's kind of middling. Yeah, like fine, like knew how to make a Saw movie, but also like I, I I feel like was like yes man is the wrong word, but just like was there to do like the job. Like can you make this movie in 30 days? Yes, okay, good, do it. Um, Kevin Grutert, Grutert. Yeah, um, was the editor and I think had a little bit more style. Now also... Hodley was supposed to go and make Paranormal Activity 
three, three I want to say. Yeah. I like how we both remember this. Um, <laughs> and Saw exercised, like, their option on him to make him direct the final chapter. So he, I think, was kind of pissed making the last one. Of, like, wait, I could have made more money and done a, you know, a more expensive movie. So, Seven suffers in comparison. Well, Saw 3D very much feels like someone who's directing it at gunpoint. Yes. Like, he doesn't seem like he wants to be there on that one. No. There's, there's, that is, can we just get through this so I can go? Because I think he then made a, did he ever eventually make a Paranormal Activity movie? I don't think he did. He made, um, was it like Jezebel or something like that? He did some sort of, like, ghost or haunted lady movie that apparently wasn't very good. I'm also looking at Yeah, he did Saw 6, 7, Jezebel, Visions, and Jackals. So yeah, he uh, kind of one and done. But an excellent horror director. all um, A horror editor, I'm sorry. All the Saw movies, he did The Strangers, the editing there, which is well edited. Mm. Um, the Collection, which I hate, but we don't have to talk about that. I know you like The Collector and The Collection better. I'm a better. big fan of The Collection. Yeah. I. Uh, and then uh, the Saw 8 was The Sprig Brothers, which was... Fine, and then Saw Nine is is uh, is Bozeman Spiral. again. Spiral, yeah. This has been. Yeah, I can't the, wait for that. This has been the preview of the Saw podcast. Um, quickly, let's wrap up with political movies. Well, one one thing. So, if I'm going to go back and and watch Saw, the Saw series, of course you watch one. Out of the what are seven or eight of them, which there's going to be nine. So, which four do I watch? If you only watch four, uh, uh, I would say one, two, three, and six. Yeah. One, two, three, and six. So okay. one, two, and three are their own story, basically. That's sort of the intended trilogy. Four starts off the new story that went up until seven, um, which is sort of, should we even, or should we just keep it vague now because he hasn't seen them? Yeah, yeah we can keep it vague. Really yeah, you'll understand when you finish three that you'll go. Okay. There's no possible way this movie can continue, and then they made going on six more. I believe if I've seen one through four, and then I gave up. So I I might jump in at six and see if I can, you know, if if it makes any sense. If, if it makes any sense. Four and five kind of flag, but six is very much the shot in the arm. Yeah, that I think they needed. And they also, I think, for the most part, avoid. The shenanigans of four and five. Four and five gets very into. Convoluted. It's very convoluted and it's very concerned with characters you couldn't give less of a shit about. Um, beyond the like, people who are going to die. We 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 know they're they're there. Gotcha. Um, but there's uh, the central characters. Let's say, are not nearly as interesting. And they they sort of wrongly assume that you were going to be invested. Like Miles and I and people went to go see it. We're invested just because we were like. I want to know what happens. But they were definitely sort of spinning their wheels at that point. Um, so I think 6 also doesn't have a ton to do with that. I think if you watched 4 or 5, you would be massively confused. Unless mm -hmm. you'd seen 1, 2, and 3 recently. Four, okay. And then, you so 6 you can watch, I think, without it. But I will say you probably need to have watched 4 and 5 to watch 7. Because it just picks right back up with that story. How's Jigsaw? Jigsaw's not bad. Uh... A friend of mine, you know, going back, his best friends were, uh, two of his best friends uh, were the Spirit Brothers. And I, I watched their skateboarding videos. 
back when they would, I think, do in-camera edits of them skateboarding. But he just said, oh, they're going to be big. And then slowly, you know, they did the Undead. Uh, Daybreakers, I believe, was the big one with uh, no, they, Ethan. Daybreakers was their big movie. Their best movie is Predestination with Ethan Hawke. I've heard that. I still haven't seen it yet. You should watch it for Sarah Snook, which I know, I think, isn't she? She's on something now everyone likes, right? She's on uh, Succession. Yeah. I, I interviewed, well, this is a, just me bragging podcast. I interviewed Ethan Hawke for that movie, <laughs> and he spent like a good half of the podcast, no, I'm sorry, interview, just saying like, if people watch, like, all I want out of this movie is for people to notice her. It is an incredibly showy performance. Like, she's the best part of that movie. It's, it's. I, that would be a good one to watch. Also, weird side note. So uh, Kevin Kevin Gruter or whatever we're calling him um, didn't edit a Saw movie after five, so he directed six and seven. Came back to edit Jigsaw. Really? I guess his. Hmm. Well, he also is. You wouldn't have noticed from watching. Yeah, it. I guess his directing career kind of fizzled out, so he went back. I wonder. I guess he's not directing uh, editing the new one, but that would be. Uh, now That'd I'm be curious. About that. Yeah. I'm curious about that. One. But yeah, you, uh, it's, it's something. Yeah. As far as Jigsaw, it's, I will say this, it's definitely the best looking of the Saw films. Like visually, it kind of foregoes the sort of maybe overly grimy aesthetic of the first few. It wasn't shot in a warehouse in Toronto or Vancouver. That's for sure. Like it looks really nice. Some of the traps are pretty cool, but if it doesn't feel like, cause it, um, Joey, it was what, like eight years, nine years or something after the previous one? I think Maybe so. less. It was, that's a good, so 2017, yeah, they they lied dormant for a while, to, uh, seven years, I think. Seven years, okay. And it just doesn't feel like, it feels too similar to some of the other ones, especially, like the twist is almost verbatim one of the same twists from one of the earlier movies, just with different characters, and it just doesn't feel like... It should be a reinvention of some sort, but it doesn't really follow up with the mythology in any meaningful way. The new characters aren't that interesting. It just kind of feels like another one when it should have been sort of a more of like a triumphant return. Yeah, like it's it's very middle of the road. Like I, I think um, there's there's other rankings, but Miles and I are right. So we'll use ours. <laughs> um, it's very clearly one six. Like one is by far the best. One is a legitimately great movie. Um, in spite of, if you watch it with open eyes, some of the acting is terrible, I will admit, but that's almost a charm in horror movies. And the budget is very clear. Like, um, the, uh, the home that, uh, Carrie Elways lives in with Monica Pardo and his daughter is definitely the same building they're shooting the rest of the movie. And they just put like a red curtain up behind like the brick, mm-hmm. but that's almost become a charm in like a low budget horror movie. But one my in six. Fa- my favorite budget thing on that first one is when um, Danny Glover and Michael Emerson have the car chase, and the cars clearly aren't moving, and they're just like they've got a bunch of fog whipping past them, and they're just zooming up against them and trying to edit a high speed car chase from two cars that are very clearly stationary. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a wild movie of invention of like I don't remember what the budget was, but it was all for the traps. It had to be. It was all just yeah traps and, and carry ways. Yeah, and we need at least one actor who will cost money. Um, I'm assuming it wasn't Monica Potter and Danny Glover. Uh, though I do remember being like, wow, there's more names. That, you know, I think this was also like at the time where these types of movies, like the gory horror movie, didn't get anyone of note. So like Carrie Elway's legit, you know, not going to greenlight your movie, but a name. 
Danny Glover <laughs> name. Monica Potter had made like along was it along came a spider and like a couple of like again like a name you recognize. There was a couple of those, and like I guess um, Michael Emerson had done Lost exactly and stuff like that. So Zepp was a dude, and I guess people Tobin Bell would work forever, but I, I he wasn't on my radar until then. Unless I'm forgetting something that he did of note. No, he played like yeah. Patrick Dempsey's dad in something before then, and he pops up here and there. But he he was no saw is what put him on the map for yeah. sure. That that's definitely the case. But yeah, no, one one is the best by far. Six is the best of the sequels. Then uh, I guess two and three probably are the next level of movie. Um, mm-hmm. In that they're they're sort of they're very much of the first one, but horror sequel versions of that. And then I think you get Jigsaw around there. Where it's it's the best looking, it has has things going for it, but it's also not necessary. Then you have four, five, seven, and whatever order you want to put them. I feel like four and five are the weakest. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, four is the weakest for me. Yeah, they I'm gonna, just. I'm gonna hunt down six. Yeah. So I'm, let's. I'm jumping back in. Yeah, let's let's switch over to political for a minute. And uh, do you guys have a uh, political movie to recommend? The Fog of War. I, it's been uh, again. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, I just found it incredibly revealing and a frankness that he spoke about, you know, this important period of time, letting you see behind the curtain something I wouldn't have expected. You read about it in books to hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, quite incredible. Agreed. Uh, the one I always come back to is the Contender. Um, I think that's one that's aged like fine wine. Uh, it's got incredible cast with Gary Oldman, Joan Allen, uh, Jeff Bridges, even Christian Slater before he kind of fizzled away. Um, and yeah, like the whole how there's this double standard uh, for gender and politics, which clearly has not improved at all with time. Um, it's just kind of fascinating to sort of see the machinations of it and to see the process and how... I don't know how uh, the selection process works and how far people will go to undermine it, not even for any particular dislike of the person, but just because they have this fundamental view of who should or shouldn't be a politician that she doesn't jive with. Oh, so good. It was it was going to be my pick. I love that movie. Um, So I'm going to go in a slightly different direction and I'm going to say The Distinguished Gentleman. Okay. Um, Not an amazing movie. Better in in theory than execution, but there's something about watching Eddie Murphy play a con man who goes, you know what con I'm missing out on? Being a politician. And and his gimmick to win a seat in Congress is amazing. He has the same last name as a congressman who just died, so he just puts himself on the election on the ballot, and people vote for him, and he realizes like, oh, I just grift while I'm in Washington. It's uh, again better in 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 theory. Than execution, but there, there. Some of the points are very, very good, and I think there's a lot of unmined territory in that. Like, I would actually think that's prime for a remake, just like not like a Kevin Hart remake, hopefully. Um, but that that topic, like, I almost would still want Eddie Murphy to make that movie, like just come back and make it again, yeah. Um, or at least be in it. Like, I'm trying to think like who would. Who's the Eddie Murphy like approximation now? Because I feel like they try to make it Kevin Hart, and I, I largely don't care for Kevin Hart. I mean, in terms of star power, it probably is Kevin Hart. In terms of actual talent, it's harder to say. Um, 
Maybe like either Key or Peel. Maybe. Yeah. That's... Maybe. Yeah, I guess I you, maybe they missed the boat like when uh when uh Keegan Michael Key was doing the uh Luther Obama's anger uh... Right, I could definitely see him pulling that off and playing the different facets of it. Yeah, but the star power isn't there. You're not yeah. going to No, you're not going to fill theater seats anyways, but if there were theaters, um he's not going to bring it. Yeah, I also just realized that the last time I thought about this movie I realize it's almost impossible to watch unless you have a uh, DVD of it. So now that I've recommended it, nobody's going to watch it. <laughs> I think it's a cheap DVD. But, uh, yeah, it's a $5 DVD on Amazon. So there you go. Probably as cheap as a rental. But, uh, yeah, so there's that. So we're going to wrap up for now. We'll be back with another one soon. Uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed. And if you didn't... Um, Keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah, don't tell me. Um, if you enjoyed it, this is uh, the Awards Radar Podcast or whatever we call it. If you didn't enjoy it, it's uh, NPR's uh, something or other. Something with Terry Gross or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just don't call me Joey Gross. Um, so it's Joey, it's Miles, it's Steve. We'll be back soon. And in the meantime, uh, vote. Vote. Vote? Yeah. <laughs>